0: The word of the Lord is powerful and life-changing, so let's see our lives transformed as we listen to today's message.
1: Um, I want to uh, talk to you today on the thought of uh, we need less and uh, I know it's a strange title and it's a strange thought, so give me a little grace with it. And, uh, but uh, I th- I think weird sometimes, so that's where this kind of comes from. Um, but uh, and I went to the wrong verse. But I'm going to be reading from John chapter 16 and then uh, Psalms 126. And uh, the plan is to uh, follow this up next week and talk a little bit more and uh, and, and give us give you some more. Um, information on on kind of this thought it will be a different message but it's going to tag right along with it Uh, but in John 16 verse 23 and 24 it says uh, and in that day you will ask me nothing most assuredly I say to you whatever you ask the Father in my name he will give you until now you have asked nothing in my name ask and you will receive that your joy may be full and then over in Psalms So Psalms one twenty six, one through 3, it says, When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Father, we just thank you for your presence in this place today. We thank you for the name of Jesus. God, I just ask that you would Uh, bless this message and that you would uh, just help me to get this point across, Lord, and that we would just have a a wonderful time in your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we need less. Now on these two passages of scripture, uh, we know that the Bible says that it's God's kindness that draws us to repentance. It's the goodness of God that they were just singing about today. And as children of God, as sons and daughters of God, our desire was we want to see other people come into the family. We want to see other people uh, accept Jesus Christ and come into the family of God. And so we should want people to see how good God is and how, uh, how kind He is to His children. And we need to show them how good He's been to us. And so that's what Psalms 126 is kind of showing us here because it's talking about when they, when they were brought back from captivity, they began to dream and it says that they had, uh, they had singing on their, on their tongue and they had laughter in their mouth and that the other nations saw this. And so because of the laughter that was in their mouths and their people are full of joy, the, people, the other people recognize that God has been good to them. And that's how it is for us. We need to be, we need to walk in the things that the spirit has given us, the joy and the peace so that when people see it, they recognize the goodness of God upon our lives. And it, and it says in Psalms that they even said, God has done great things for that person. Not that we walk around with an attitude that has people to say, oh, they must be important or, oh, they must have a lot of money or, oh, they must be successful. When they look at us, are they saying, man, God has done unbelievable things for that person Uh, And in their life. And that's the way we want to live. And then in the verses we read in John, Jesus is telling us that uh, we're going to ask the Father in his name. And whatever we ask in his name, he's going to give it to us that our joy may be full. And so what I want you to do is combine those two thoughts for a moment and think about this. If, If you and I, being people of joy and being full of joy helps other people realize the goodness of God and the kindness of God and causes them to want to accept Christ in their lives. And then, according to John, if our joy is somehow connected to our prayers being answered, what should we do or what do we do when our prayers are not being answered? What happens? And so, I well, first I need to make sure that I'm talking to the right group. Is there anybody here today that... Um, all of your prayers are always answered exactly the way you ask them. Every, you know everything you ask for, you're getting it every every time. You know it's and it's immediate. Then I got the right group. We're in this together. We all are still trying to become what Jesus has called us to be. Uh, so, but before I, I repeat that first thought, I want I want to go ahead and say this: that I know that joy is a fruit of the spirit. I'm not trying to take away from that at all. I. Um, I believe you'll see that as I go more into the message, but I know that. But still, what in the book of John says is that it's directly connected in some way to our prayers being answered when we ask and we receive. So if our joy helps others see the goodness of God and we want more joy in our lives, and in some way our joy is connected to answered prayers... If our prayers are not being answered, shouldn't we look for reasons why? Shouldn't we look for a better way to pray? And so, if I were to go around today, and I'm not, but if I were to go around and just pick anybody out of the congregation today and just were to say, hey, if prayers aren't being answered, what do we need to do? Probably that person, the most common response I would get somewhere in the response would say, we just need more faith. We need more faith. But what I want to get us to think about today is what if we don't need more faith? What if we need less of something else? What if we don't need more faith? What if we just need less unbelief in our lives? Sounds like the same thing, but it's not. There's a difference. See, we hear a lot about faith and some about doubt in the church, but we we hear a lot about building our faith and uh, we need more faith and we need more. We're praying for more faith. We're after more faith. And sometimes this can get confusing. Uh, I've read a lot of books on faith, and uh, I've been confused a lot of times when it comes to some, some of the things that I've read, some of the things that I've, I've heard. But I want you if, you, if you would, to just look at this and think about it a little differently with me for just a little while today. Uh, I want you to think about doubt from a different viewpoint. Stop thinking of doubt as a lack of faith and start thinking of doubt as the presence of unbelief. And it begins to kind of to change the outlook. See, I believe that it's possible to have faith and unbelief in our lives at the same time. like The the scripture said when the man was talking to Jesus, I believe, which is faith, Lord help my unbelief. He He had both going on at the same time. And I believe that many of the breakthroughs that people are after and that we're not experiencing is not because they need more faith, but it's because they need less unbelief. So you can pray for more faith you can try to build more faith all you want to. And those are great things to do. We all need to be doing that. But if you never do anything about the unbelief in your life, what's going to happen? If you never do anything to try and stop the, the, the negative thought patterns or the wrong thought patterns, what will happen? And so I borrowed Justin's scale he made for the uh, kids revival. Now, I want you to think about it like a scale. And with this, this, this is our desired result. We're wanting to experience miracles, signs, wonders. We're wanting to walk in power, we're wanting to walk in uh, every promise that Jesus has for us. The thing is on this scale, this is unbelief and this is faith. And so all we do in the church is we're constantly trying to build our faith, right? Because if we can build our faith enough, if we can get people excited enough, and if I can talk fast enough and loud enough to get y'all going out there, however, they, I can't even do it when I try. <laughs> you get my point. If I can build your faith enough, man, we're going to have church. We're going to have revival. Meanwhile, at the exact same time, this world, this world system, our past, our experiences, our flesh is piling unbelief at the same time. So we're in this constant struggle back and forth of, of oh man, I, yeah, we're, we got all the church lingo down one week and then the next week we're just so defeated. I just need to get to this conference so I can build my faith back up. And then you come back and, like me, the washing machine breaks or something like that. And then, oh, I just need to go here if I could just get this person to lay hands on me and I could get in, if I could go to an impartation service and get my faith up. But what would happen if instead of always focusing on building our faith, we just started taking away unbelief? we got the same faith, but as we begin to fix those thought patterns and unbelief goes away, it, the exact same result starts to happen. But see, we could never do that. It's not spiritual enough. So we need, just need to keep building faith over and over and over, and we never do anything about the unbelief that's holding us back and keeping us from experiencing the desired result that, that, we, that we're after. And so all we do is we talk about how we wish we had the faith of this person. Man, I wish I had boldness like this lady, or I wish I had the, I, could, I could walk in faith like this guy. And, and we're constantly trying to build our faith over and over and over. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but what would happen if we just started taking away all the unbelief? That's being piled on us day after day after day. I believe we would have the same result, but I believe it might even come a lot quicker and easier than these struggles that we're going through. Another way to think of it is like your air conditioning unit. Now it hasn't been that hot this weekend, but it's been hot. And if you're thinking, man, I just, I I need my house colder, I want it colder. You can install a bigger AC unit every summer if you want to. You can get one that's three times as big as what your house requires. You can run it on a lower temperature every day. You can keep dropping the temperature. But if you keep leaving the doors open, what's going to happen? If you keep leaving the windows up or you don't insulate your house to protect it from the outside environment that's trying to force its way in, nothing's going to change. That house is going to be hot and you're going to be miserable and sweating. See, I think that's what's happening to many of us as we continue to beat ourselves up and just have this negative outlook and just say, I just wish I had more faith. I just wish I had more faith. What are you doing about the unbelief that's coming against you? Many of us rarely, if ever, have done anything about unbelief. We just keep striving for more faith and working ourselves to death. In 2 Kings chapter 6, when Elisha is having an issue with the king of Syria or the king of Syria is actually having an issue with Elisha because the king of Syria uh, wants to attack Israel and defeat them. And every time he plans something, Elisha tells the king of Israel what's going to happen and uh, Israel keeps defeating Syria. And so the king is upset and he is convinced that there's somebody that's a traitor in the camp. And so he has his people together and he's, He's wanting to know who's the traitor, who's telling the king of Israel what's going on, and he demands to know who it is, and they tell him it's none of us, it's not us, it's the prophet, it's the man of God, Elisha. He keeps telling the king of Israel everything we're going to do. In fact, he's able to tell the king what you speak of in your bedchambers. And so he's upset now, and he says, well, go get him, and he sends an army to go get one man. And... Uh, When this happens, this is when Elisha's servant looks out and he sees all the soldiers and he is scared to death. And so full of fear, he tells Elisha, he says, hey, we're surrounded. Master, what are we going to do? Elisha says, don't be afraid. There are more for us than there are for them. Now the servant, uh, servant doesn't understand He's still upset, he's still scared, and so Elisha prays for God to open the servant's eyes. God opens the servant's eyes and he looks out and he can see that the all around is filled with angels and chariots of fire and they truly are more for us than there are for them. Now I want you to think about this because this was the servant of Elisha. This was a man of faith. Elisha's servant wasn't just somebody who fixed his meals and cleaned up after him. He, he did life with him. He participated in the miracles that Elisha did probably many times. This was a man of faith. So he was not in this position of fear because he had a lack of faith. He had faith. He was in this position because of unbelief. See, when things are going our way, it's really easy to say that we're people of faith. It's really easy to talk faith, speak faith, all that stuff. But when things go wrong... That's when unbelief is is revealed. It doesn't mean that you don't have faith. It just means that there's unbelief there. And when something's revealed, we should deal with it. But usually we don't. We just go after more faith instead of dealing with the unbelief. See, what's really interesting is that to me is that the Bible never says that Elisha even saw the angels or the chariots. He, he probably did. We don't know, but it doesn't say it. We don't really know what Elisha saw or didn't see because when the soldiers actually came down, he didn't mention anything about the angels or the chariots of fire. He didn't say, hey, there's more around you right now than you have to come after me. He, he struck him with blindness. He went a totally different direction. He didn't do anything with, with what he had spoken to the servant. I don't know whether, what he saw. I don't know whether he saw them or not, but the fact is he didn't need to see them because he wasn't full of unbelief. And because he wasn't full of unbelief, his faith never wavered. Jesus with Thomas in John 20. This is John 20, verses 24 through 29. Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails... And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, we give Thomas a hard time a lot, and Thomas, he needed to see it. He needed to see it for himself. He wouldn't believe the other disciples, and this wasn't because he was not a man of faith, it was because of unbelief. He was a man of faith. We have to remember that Thomas did the same miracles the other disciples did. He healed the sick. He cast out devils. He did all those things. And when you read the story of Lazarus, when it said that that Lazarus is dead, he's the one that said, well, let's go with him so that we can die too. He He was a brave man. He was a man of faith. He was ready to go and give his life because of his faith. But he also struggled with doubt because of unbelief. And many times, it's the same way in our lives. I believe every person in here that you are a person of faith. You believe that Jesus, that that God has the power to save the lost, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to to set those free that need deliverance. I believe that you believe that. You're full of faith for that. But at the same time, we struggle with unbelief. Hebrews 3. This is uh, 16 and through 19. It says, for who, for who having heard rebelled, indeed was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. See, The children of Israel could not enter because of unbelief. It wasn't because they sinned or they rebelled, which they did. It was because of unbelief, and it was because of unbelief. If you think about it, unbelief is ultimately the reason why they sinned and they rebelled because these people had seen all kinds of miracles because that's what we think. If we can just get enough miracles to happen in our church that people will be so full of faith we won't have any more problems with, with, I guess, bad apples or whatever you want to say, with people that giving you issues. Everybody would just be perfect if we can have enough miracles take place. They had seen all kinds of miracles. They had been through the plagues. They had seen the parting of the Red Sea, the manna, the quail, the water from the rock. They had seen unbelievable things. They knew what God could do, and they had faith in what God could do to a degree, but they were still full of unbelief. They never did anything about their unbelief even though they were seeing amazing things. In Matthew 13, verse 58, it says, Now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. See, it doesn't say that he didn't do many mighty works there because they didn't have faith or because of a lack of faith. It was because of the presence of unbelief. They're similar, but they're not the same. Mark's gospel says he healed a few sick people. That sounds like the state of the church to me. We, we come together and we're praying and we're believing and we're, we're teaching and we're reading and we're studying on miracles and all the things that Jesus does. But when you actually think about the miracles taking place at a lot of places, we just have a few sick people getting healed, which is good. A miracle's a miracle. I'm all for it. But so what do we do? We need to have another conference on faith. We need to bring in this evangelist to preach on faith. We need to have somebody come in and talk to us about our faith. But yet nothing's ever done about unbelief. I had this thought come to me, uh, I don't know if it was yesterday or or Friday. So if all the disciples were men of faith, because they went out, healed the sick, cast out devils, did all those things, they're all men of faith, and you know how Jesus would go away with Peter, James, and John? Somehow they got to be the ones that were included. And and I've heard people give different reasons why, you know, that he had a close, maybe there was a a, a closer type relationship. Maybe, maybe, and some people even think maybe they had more faith. What if they didn't have more faith? What if they had less unbelief than the other disciples? I don't know. It's just something to think about. I mean, you just, because, because there was different times where Jesus would have certain people leave the room before he did a miracle. He, had to get, he would get rid of the, the unbelief. What, what if that's the reason that they got to tag along sometimes when the other disciples didn't? Well, what about us? What miracles would we see in the church if we started getting rid of unbelief? What would that revival experience been, be like? We talk about wanting to have a revival like they did back whenever you want to pick the date. And if we could just get the faith that those, and walk in the faith that those people had, But what if it wasn't that they walked in more faith? What if they walked in less unbelief? What if they actually did something about it? Matthew 18, verse 3. Did I give you that one? Oh, yeah. Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So we always talk about that childlike faith. We want to be like children. Children have more of something than we do as adults and they have less of something than we do as adults. Children have more innocence and they have less unbelief. A child will believe just about anything you tell them in a good way. And what if becoming like a child isn't just about being innocent and and loving, uh, which those are good, nothing wrong with those things. But what if it's also about not being filled with so much unbelief? What if that's the true key to childlike faith is getting rid of the unbelief? No unbelief to stop us from believing God's word or acting upon God's word. And see, now this happens, this verse was right after the disciples could not heal the demon possessed boy in Matthew 17. Matthew 17, uh, verses 14 through 21, we read the account. And it says this, it says, And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief. For surely I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. So we've all probably heard this passage of Scripture many times. And, and Jesus, they're, they're asking, why could we not help this little boy? Why could we not cast the spirit out? And he tells them that they couldn't help the boy because of unbelief. But many times what happens is we'll, we keep reading this. And now he's talking strictly, I believe, about unbelief after he says this. Because he, he tells them unbelief is why they couldn't do it. And then he tells them what faith can do. And then he says, but this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. And so what happens many times is that when we we keep reading and he says that statement, we automatically assume that he's talking about some big bad demons out there that if you don't fast and pray for two weeks before you encounter them, you're powerless to defeat them. So you better just run away. That doesn't sound like it makes sense when I say it that way, but you've all heard, it, heard that before. And, I'm, and if you believe that way, that's fine. That, you, can, you can believe that way if you want. But why do we assume that Jesus is talking about the demon and forget that maybe he's talking about unbelief? When he says that this kind can, does not go out except by prayer and fasting. What if he's telling the disciples how to get rid of the unbelief that kept them from getting rid of the demon? Now, I believe that if you are knowingly going to be entering into a situation of demonic activity or uh, or or dealing with someone who's demonized, that it would probably be a smart thing for you to pray and fast and prepare yourself before you go into that situation. But I also believe that the name of Jesus is greater than any demonic power on any day of the week. I, I, I just I don't believe that if I just happen to come upon a situation of demonic activity or come upon someone who's demonized uh, I believe that I can stand in boldness upon the name of Jesus and not have to run and hide because I haven't fasted that week I know that maybe you've heard it talked about differently for a long time but I want to propose this to you again when you when you give it more thought and do you think that Jesus's comments here Uh, were to bring fear in the hearts of the disciples that he had been sending out about these really tough demons that may be out there? I don't don't think so. I think that the words of Jesus will always bring encouragement, correction, and instruction. But I don't think he's going to bring... The only fear Jesus is going to bring would be a healthy fear of the Lord. He's not going to cause me to be afraid of the enemy. And so with that thought in mind... What if when Jesus said this kind doesn't go out except by prayer and fasting, he meant this kind of unbelief that you're dealing with that's keeping you from experiencing the full measure of the power of my name? What if he didn't mean it's this kind of demon? What if he meant this is how you can get this stuff out of your life for good? Luke 9 verse 1, it says, Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure all diseases. Now, that's the New King James, but I don't really care what version you read, all means all when they interpret it. The translation's going to be the same. So don't you think that this would have been the time if there was if there if there needed to be that he would have told them that there's going to be some demons that you run into every now and then that you just need to avoid until you can go fast and pray for several days. This probably would have been a good time for him to tell them that but I don't think that's what it was. Think about what that conversation would have even sounded like. Like, look, look, guys. Now, I've I've given you the power to do these things. Um, but sometimes my name doesn't work that well. Sometimes you might have to help me out a little bit, guys. I'm going to need you to just fast and pray to help my name out, because sometimes it doesn't have the same power that it that it's supposed to have. That's insane. But that's a lot of times of the belief systems that we, we, we take on and we, and we build up at, at different times. But when you think about it, it doesn't make any sense because every demon is subject to the name of, of Jesus. Mark's gospel tells the story a little bit different way. And uh, I believe it reveals a little something about maybe uh, about unbelief here that I want to share with you. And this is Mark uh, 9. I thought I had that one. Mark 9 and verse 14 through 24. It says, And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, What are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him. And he fell onto the ground and wallowed foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, how long has, he been, has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. So we see when the the boy sees Jesus, he falls down on the ground and starts convulsing and foaming at the mouth. Have you ever seen someone fall out and have a seizure? I mean, like full on, complete. Well, it is scare the mess out of you when it happens. It is an odd feeling. And I'm just wondering, could this manifesting spirit have caused unbelief to be revealed in the disciples that day? And and here's a story to kind of help you get an idea of where I'm going with that. Uh, I was reading a book a few years ago. And in this uh, book, this this preacher was talking about these conferences he had been having. And at these conferences, the power of God was moving mightily. And people were being healed and people were being saved. They were getting out of wheelchairs. They were getting off of sick beds. Uh, They even had a person raised from the dead in one of the meetings. And he said that when all this happened, that his faith level... His faith level was just, it was through the roof. He was ready for anything. He was so excited, everything, he, there was nothing God couldn't do. And he's on his way to the next meeting, and he was even telling God, God, I'm so excited. There's no telling what you're going to do in this meeting. I, we're going to have so many miracles. I'm so, uh, I'm so pumped up. I'm so ready for this. And he gets to the meeting, and one of the first per, uh, people he sees is this guy in a wheelchair. And the guy's completely paralyzed. And uh, the praise and worship's going, and he's just still fired up out of everything he's been seeing. He said, you know, his faith couldn't be any higher. He goes and he grabs the guy out of the wheelchair, and he says, be healed, and lets him go. The guy falls flat on his face on the ground, and and the whole crowd lets out a big, (gasps) and so now he said uh, his faith level dropped real quick, and he jumped to the ground, and he started apologizing, told the man how sorry he was, wrestled him back up, got him in the wheelchair. The guy's face is all scratched up where he hit the ground. And he said, it's one of the worst meetings that he ever had, that it killed everything in the meeting. And so he said, he began to pray and beg and ask God, said, God, I had faith for that man to be healed. I knew you were, that you were going to heal him. I knew it was going to happen. I I operated in faith. I acted in faith. There was nothing trying to bring attention to myself. Why did this happen? Why didn't you heal him? Why did this take place? And he said it was two years later before he got his answer. Now, he was reading a book. And he was reading a book about Smith Wigglesworth. And if you want to read anything on faith, you can't go wrong by reading one of the books about him and his life. And he had all kind of crazy miracles and, and uh, different things that God did through him. And, and so he's reading this book, and there's a story in it about Smith, uh, Smith having a revival. And what he liked to do a lot of times when he got up to preach, uh, not always, but usually one of the first things he would do is he would say, the first person to come down to this altar, God's going to heal them. And they would come down, God would heal them, and then he would preach a sermon explaining what had just happened. And when uh, the service was over, they would have just miracles break out everywhere. And so uh, there was this lady who was dying of cancer. She had a tumor in her abdomen so big it was out like a a pregnant belly. And uh, she was in her last stages, and so two of her girlfriends told her about the revival, and they came and they picked her up, and they had to help her get into the car. They get her to the service, and they sit in what they think will be the perfect seat because they know if he does that at this service, we're going to make sure she's the first one there. Nobody's going to beat us to that altar. And so sure enough, he gets up, and he says, uh, God's going to heal the first person that comes down to this altar tonight and they get her down there and they're holding her up. She can't uh, walk or stand on her own. And uh, Smith Wigglesworth doesn't leave the stage. He doesn't go pray for her. You know, we, we so many times um, we, we start getting moved by sympathy instead of by boldness and compassion. Sympathy says, man, I feel sorry for you compassion says i can do something for you i can help you out well and that's a very dangerous thing that we do in the church by the way but that's a different sermon for another day but he he doesn't even go down and pray for you know we would have went down and hugged her and cried on her shoulder been so sorry for her because we know she's going to die we're going to pray for you to be healed but we know you're going to die and so he doesn't do that he's standing up there and he just tells the women he says turn her loose so they let her go, she falls flat on her face, right on that belly, and screams out in pain. And the people that were there witnessing said she looked like a turtle flipped on its back. And so he just he doesn't skip a beat. He says, stand her back up. So they stand her back up. If if there was ever a time he should have went to the bottle of anointing oil and went down there and asked for seven Holy Ghost filled people to come help him pray. No. He says, Turn her loose. They said, we're not turning her loose. Didn't you just see what happened? He said, I said, turn her loose. So they let her go. She falls flat on her belly again and screams even louder. And the crowds are Now, this is the second time the crowd's done the. (gasps) He says, hey, stand her back up. They stand her back up. He says, now turn her loose. They said, we are not turning her loose. She's already fallen two times. She's almost dead now. And, And he says, I said, turn her loose. And so now this guy stands up in the, from the congregation and he's yelling at Smith Wigglesworth. He's yelling at the preacher saying, what are you trying to do? Kill this woman, cause him a beast or something like that. And says, what's your problem? And so, you know, this wasn't 2022. So the preachers were allowed to do this. And he told him, he says, Hey, you sit down and shut up, mind your own business. So the guy sits down. He looks back at the ladies. He said, I said, turn her loose. They said, we are not going to turn her loose. And so now he screams at them, turn her loose. They let her go and she was instantly healed. She walked out of the church cancer free. Uh, even a, a, a mass fell out onto the floor or something in the in the altar in front of everybody. And uh, I guess for those who didn't want to believe the the obvious in front of them. but But the thing of it is, is... As the guy read this story about Smith Wigglesworth, it finally hit him. His problem wasn't with his faith. See, what happened to him and Smith Wigglesworth were very similar. The difference wasn't that Smith Wigglesworth had more faith. The difference was that he had less unbelief. When the result didn't happen immediately, it didn't change his faith level because there was no unbelief there to jump in and tip the scale on him. And so uh, he, he realized then, because if you think about it, Smith never came off the stage. He never laid hands on the woman. He never prayed for the woman. This guy snatched somebody up out of a wheelchair and yelled, Be healed at him and threw him down. Now, when you think about it, that might have been more faith than what Smith Wigglesworth did. But there also was the presence of unbelief. And he realized from then that he had to start doing something about the unbelief in his life if he was actually going to truly walk in a miracle lifestyle. In Mark 8, verse 22, Jesus had to deal with the same thing. This is when Jesus prays for the blind man. Uh, and he, he takes the man out of the town to pray for him. So that probably was because of their unbelief. He had to get out of the town. It was so bad. And then Jesus prays for him and he asks the man, what do you see? The man said that he saw men as trees. We'd have been devastated if, somebody, if they weren't totally healed if we pray for somebody. But it didn't even phase Jesus Think about Jesus' faith level. I imagine it was pretty high. I imagine he had that figured out. He prays for the guy, and the guy's not completely healed. But he doesn't panic because there's no unbelief in Jesus. He just prays again, completely confident, and the man is completely healed. If Jesus faced situations like this, we're going to face situations like this. Yes, Jesus did all the amazing miracles that he did, but here's one that's just to help out me and you. I'm pretty sure that the intention was for the guy to be completely healed right off the bat. But just because it didn't happen, it didn't change Jesus' faith level because he wasn't full of unbelief. I want you to think about what may have happened to the disciples. The Bible doesn't tell us what happened before Jesus came down other than they tried to help this little boy and they couldn't. But when Jesus was going to pray for the little boy, he falls down on the ground and starts shaking and jerking and convulsing and foaming at the mouth. Okay, so it doesn't say that it happened that way to the disciples, but I would be willing to say that it's probably a high probability that the the demon manifested the exact same way when they were going to try to help this little boy. So I wonder if as soon as the disciples saw something like that, as soon as they said, yeah, we can help your son, if that spirit just began to manifest in such a way that it revealed unbelief in their lives. Remember the three that I proposed may have had the least unbelief. They were with Jesus. They weren't down there with them. And so here it is. uh, I wonder if the unbelief, when it was revealed, all of a sudden on that scale in their life, if it began to outweigh all that faith that they had been building up all this time, praying for the sick, and they didn't know what to do. I wonder if it outweighed it on the balance, and they were lost. See, Jesus even said, faith the size of a mustard seed can move a mountain, but unbelief will stop that faith from ever being released. I'm I'm thankful for the gift of faith that many people operate in. I'm thankful for the gift of faith that we can operate in through Holy Spirit. I'm thankful that we've all been given a measure of faith. I love faith. I'll continue to read books on faith. I'll continue to try to build my faith and exercise my faith, but it's not going to do me any good if I don't address the unbelief in my life. Because we all face it, this world system, our past, our experiences, everything is trying to pile unbelief against the Word of God upon us. I'm all for having faith, but what if we really need less unbelief? Smith Wigglesworth didn't just get this way by building his faith. Yes, he was a man of faith, and yes, he would build his faith with the Word of God constantly, but he also protected himself from unbelief. He understood the importance of like that air conditioner analogy of insulating himself from the outside world and keeping those doors and windows shut. You know those ones we like to crack open for the enemy all the time, thinking that it's not a big deal? I know a lot of things aren't a big deal, but sometimes he just knows how to wiggle his way in there and make a big mess out of something that we didn't think was a big deal. Lester Summerall, another great man of God, he talks about his encounter with Smith Wigglesworth the first time at Smith's house. And if you don't know who Lester Summerall is, he's done all kind. He had all kind of amazing miracles happen, Uh, was even given the key to a city. I think it was somewhere in the Philippines where he had uh, went and delivered a demon possessed girl that was in prison that they didn't know what to do with. Just just crazy stories. Uh, Also, he was Rod Parsley's mentor, uh, some different people. But when he met him. He, he, this was going to be, I think, the first or second time they had seen each other in person. They had set up to meet at Smith's house, and he shows up. Smith Wigglesworth comes to the door, and he's there, and he's got a newspaper under his arm. He's got an umbrella over his shoulder, and he's got his hat on, his little top hat. And Smith, you know, he, he was known for not, I guess, having the best tact. But he said, uh, you can come in, but that stays outside. I don't allow anything but the truth in my house, no lies. And he wouldn't let him bring the newspaper in his house. And this, you know, this was way before we all knew how crooked newspapers and media outlets were. But He wouldn't allow it in the house. The only book he would ever allow in his house was the Bible. Because he was not going to be influenced by anything else that would cause him to have unbelief. He was a great man of faith, but he understood the danger of unbelief. And it's something that we've neglected in the church for a long, long time. Now, Lester Summerall continued reading the paper. I am not preaching against the paper. He did amazing things for the kingdom of God. It was just every time he went to see Smith, he had to leave that paper outside. He would never compromise it. And so that's what he would do. He'd go see him. He'd just drop it at the door and pick it up when he left. So, yes, we should continue to build our faith. But we've all been given enough faith to experience every single promise that's in this word of God. If we would just get rid of unbelief. Our society is so obsessed with wanting more. No one is satisfied with what they have. They want more, they want more of everything, more of this, more of that. But what if we actually need, yes, uh, need less? What if that's the key to all of it? To experiencing everything that we talk about so much? What if it's not, I'm all for going after more. Please don't think I'm completely against that. I'm just wanting you to think of something in a different way. Because I'm all for going for more, but what if we just need less to experience the more? What would happen if we started being more intentional with keeping unbelief out of our lives the same way we are about trying to build our faith and build our, and build our knowledge? I think it would be an unbelievable revival. I think it would be an unbelievable experience, an unbelievable way to do life, that when a- any situation that we face, that fear would have no place because we've given unbelief no place. Does anybody in here, do you battle fear? I think we all do to an extent. And I think about that in myself with different things I have in my life that I just, I don't know, I just get afraid for some reason. And uh, I, had a, I had a good manager one time that they piled a bunch of work on me, like crazy stuff that I had to fix where somebody had messed up. And uh, now this was the manager who was supposed to be trying to get the most out of me. He could, but he saw I was taking a lot on. And he finally, he looked at me one day, he said, he said, Aaron, relax, they can't eat you. And it, it sounds crazy, but it, like, but it helped me out so much. And I'm like, do what? He said, give them, their, give them their eight hours and go home. That's all they're paying you for. They can't eat you. What are they going to do if you don't get it done? Now, don't take that work ethic of literally out there. Do a good job. There's a story behind that situation that made him say that. But, but, uh, but you know, sometimes we just, we just have this, we get our mind on the wrong things. And we allow it to stress us out and cause us to be afraid. And we, and that is the easiest way for unbelief to come into your life is through fear. Fear will cause it to come quicker than anything else. But, but next week, I'm going to talk about different types of unbelief, or that's the plan, and, and, and try and, and help with that a little bit. So maybe if we know more about it, we'll be able to deal with it uh, a lot better uh, in our lives. Okay, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you. For your presence here, God, we thank you for your love, Lord. We thank you for how patient you are with us, God. God, I just pray for every person in this place, Lord, that we would just start to um, be aware of unbelief trying to set in. God, that we would start getting rid of unbelief in our lives, God, and that we would we would trust in everything that you've given us, Lord. You said you've given us all spiritual blessings, Lord. You said that you know, you've given us all a measure of faith, and Lord, you've given us different gifts through your Holy Spirit, God, and what Jesus has done and what you have given is more than enough. So God, I pray that we would trust in that, Lord, that our faith would rise in that as we continue to get rid of unbelief, Lord, and we, we continue to to keep ourselves from this world system and the ideas that it tries to plant in us that are against your word and against your promises, God. Lord, I pray for the needs of every person in here, Lord, that's sick in body, Lord, or that's being tormented in their mind or that's dealing with fear. God, we pray for John. We pray for healing, Lord, of this hernia and the issues that he has uh, going on. Lord, he needs a miracle. And so we just speak life to him and to this family. God, we pray for Frankie, God, Lord. That, Lord, we just ask for complete healing, Lord, and that, and that uh, the doctors would see a way, maybe where they didn't see before, God, and that she would get the 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 treatment that she needs, Lord. And we just pray for comfort and peace to her, Lord, and and we just ask that you would be with every person as we go this week, God, that we would just be more aware of your goodness like they were singing about today, God, and that we would speak the name of Jesus over every situation, and that would be our first comment instead of allowing fear to, to get us to speak unbelief, Lord, that we would speak faith into everything that we do, Lord, and that people will see how good you are through our lives and how good you are to us, Lord. And we just give you the honor and the glory and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.
0: We are so happy that you joined us today. If you are interested in learning about or giving to this ministry, you can find more information at SaponaRoadChurch.com. If you are local to the Fayetteville, North Carolina area, our meeting times are 1045 a.m. Sunday mornings and 7 o'clock p.m. Wednesdays for our Connect groups. From all of us here at Sapona Road Church, We hope that you have a great day as you walk in the Lord's favor and blessing.